to Read This, Read That. I am Jackie Reed. I'm Joanne Reed. What's up, Soror Cousin? Soror <laughs> Cousin, listen. Y'all, see, if y'all watching visually can see my altar. Put them up, put them Hold up, put them up. Yeah. Put them up, put them up, put them up. Yes. Put them up, put them up, put them up. Put them up, put them up, put them up. Guess who is an honorary member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated? It happened just days ago. Joanne Reed. In Atlanta. Oh, my goodness. How how was that? Okay. So, So many questions for you. And this episode, aside from our great guest later, who is Tarana Burke, will be all about Delta Sigma Theta. <laughs> Sorority Incorporated. Incorporated, <laughs> exactly. So has it sunk in yet or are you still, because I know this is something you've wanted to do for a long time. Uh, yeah. Has it sunk in or are you still just kind of floating and just trying to take it all in? I'm still floating, taking it all in. Like, you know, and as you know, right. So, Cousin Sora, Jackie Reed, you are one of the few people who has known, well, actually everybody who's known me since college knows that, you know, I have long time had this dream of being a, a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. I couldn't do it when I was in college for financial reasons and time reasons, happen to work reasons. But, and I keep threatening to try to pledge and I was like, maybe I'll do it. Grad chapter so-and-so and so never did it. So this was a, number one, a huge surprise when it, when I got the call to, you know, join the ranks of, I mean, Cicely Tyson is an honorary member. I mean, you know, Sherilyn Eiffel, Gwen Eiffel, who of course is my idol. Um, but, you know, really Aretha my Franklin, opinion. Ruby Aretha Reed. Franklin. I mean, Ruby Natalie Reed. Cole. Daphne Maxwell-Reed, who I got to meet this weekend. Annie Lou Hamer. Annie Lou Hamer. Come I on. Mean, come on. But it all goes back for me to Shirley Chisholm. It all goes mm. back to Shirley Chisholm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, that was my mom's favorite politician. They had the same hair. They had the same hairstyle. They kind of looked alike. They were both Guyanese background. She was half Guyanese, half Barbasian. Um, but my mother, that was her favorite politician. And when, you know, Ms. Chisholm, Congresswoman Chisholm came to New York in 1972 when she was running for president, one of her stops is she came to Denver. Mm-hmm. She came to Denver. And I don't remember. My sister is the one who remembers going because she's a little older than me so she remembers t- my mom taking the two of us to meet miss chisholm and according to my sister who you know listen she my sister she my advocate so maybe she <laughs> listen she said that i just charmed miss shirley chisholm when shirley chisholm came around my mom like handed me to her and i just charmed her as a toddler so i don't remember it but i just know i've always loved shirley chisholm i just love everything about her so it's just to be affiliated with her in any way and just to be affiliated with people like you, my lovely, wonderful, incredible cousin, my play cousin, just the people I love so much and respect so much. So many of them are Deltas, yeah. um, including the woman who I told the story about, in which I barely got through it, doing my little speech. You have to give a little the spiel. Tears. I barely got through it. I barely got through it. <laughs> I was crying half the time because, you know, one of the people who I, I was closest to growing up was this woman named Lejeune, who we, we were allowed to call her Lejeune, you know, not Miss Lejeune or Auntie Lejeune. She was the only adult we could say that about. Yeah. We were allowed to call her Lejeune because she wanted to be called Lejeune. She did not like being called Miss This or whatever. And she was a, was, was a member of Delta Sigma Theta. And I didn't know until college when I was telling her how that was my big regret of the last four years because she came in my mother's place um, to my graduation. Mm. So it's it just there's so many significances of it that 
it, it, I'm still not really down from the cloud. <laughs> I'm still on the cloud. I'm going to come yeah. down eventually. I'm yeah. going to get down, <laughs> but I'm going to come Well, there are only certain things that I can talk about. Uh, yes, we don't keep- <laughs> <laughs> the ceremony is very private, so I don't want to yes. talk about those details. Um, but your line sisters the women who are also became honorary members of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated along with you. I mean, wow. (laughs) I mean, wow. You had to be like, wow. And these, you all are connected for the rest of your life. You know what I mean? Yes. Because of this moment. Um, And I guess it just like, what was it like? Because you didn't, gosh, like, I'm so careful. About what you said. You know, we have to be careful. It's just like you, you know, to, to know that these are your line sisters. How does that feel? It's, it is, it, it is like instantly getting real new sisters. Like, like, like my sister, sister, you know what I mean? Like, like June, who's my sister, sister. It is like literally acquiring new sisters because our relationship has, you know how, when you have siblings, all the relationships break down in a certain way and you have the quiet one, you have the connector one, you have the one who's like the thinker who makes up all the plans and who decides where y'all go on vacation. Like we already have that kind of dynamic between us. It's already been kind of, it just naturally kind of settled into a dynamic we already have with each other. Um, and, you know, I just love them. It's like we instantly fell in love with each other. We, we you know, we just have an immediate affinity. Um, we have a little like, fun name for who we call ourselves as a group. It's just, we just love each other. And it's, it's just, it's so wonderful to have, I only have one biological sister and I have a lot of female cousins, but those relationships with women um, are so key, right? To, to getting yeah. through life and the difficulties in life. You really lean, you know, it's great to have a husband and, you know, your boyfriends, you have men, friends and sons and everything, but there is something about sisterhood that is special. You know, yeah, especially when it's challenging times. Yes, particularly in Delta Sigma Theta, it's great to have sisterhood in that, you know. <laughs> but what was it like, you know, for me, I was just like, I was trying to prepare you for, you know, not knowing myself what it's like to be honorary is such a big yeah. deal. And you are such rock stars when you are amongst, you know, fellow members of Delta Sigma Theta. It's like, you know, so when you walked out of that ceremony, right, how many pictures if you had to, to get like from that, like that day and the next day, because you were there Saturday and Sunday, how many pictures if you had to guess, would you, this is like jelly beans in a jar, right? How many pictures would you say you took? How many selfies and like pictures do you think you took? <laughs> it had to be over. It, it had to be one to 200. Like it was, I mean, literally every three minutes. I took a picture. <laughs> I, I, honestly, I mean, yeah, I feel like every three minutes I took another picture. So if we do the minutes, how many minutes I was there? People were sending me pictures that <laughs> they took with you. People, yep. I mean, it was, it was crazy. This is like, who becomes honorary members of Delta Sigma Theta is like one of the best kept secrets on the planet, right? Um, you are sworn to secrecy, but yeah. for those of us that are already members, it is like a big moment at the national convention, which happens every other year where we are, where it's just these rumors, <laughs> tea, you know what I mean? It is like one of those things that everybody's whispering about and somebody has it on good authority that it could be this person. And I mean, I heard about women who 
you know, like it could have been this person. It could have been every, right. I was, I was on my flight on my way to Atlanta on Friday night. Uh, my first flight since COVID. Um, and I, I'm proud of you, girl, listen, <laughs> for you, <laughs> for you, that's sisterhood. But, <laughs> that is sisterhood. For but on that flight, I was looking at the uh, social media accounts of other of the women that I knew or that I heard about, and I was right. just trying to see how they were moving. What were they doing on a Friday night? Were they in Atlanta? Like, and I was talking to other you know Sora friends of mine, and we were just trying to figure it out. But when I tell you the text messages, like before the ceremony was over. People, people know who the honorary members are. It's like, it's crazy. It's like Delta can only do so much. Like they can keep it quiet until the ceremony. But once, right. and that's it. once it is revealed to the members of the sorority in the way that it is, child, forget yeah. it. Forget and they don't even try it. I think this is a while. Yeah, they they sent they they tweeted out pretty quick because I think they know that. Right. So it went. A tw- so people were get my boss, Rashida Jones, got the tweet that they sent out. So she started texting me when I tell you I have two phones. As you know, we have two phones. We have the original bad phone and Robin. We got two phones. Bad phone and Robin were both full and they're still get a bad girl. You got to get a bad girl. I'm going to have to enlist phone number three, because when I tell you these phones are full and I've been responding to people who either in divine nine or not. And the funniest one was uh, Bishop, Bishop, Bishop William Barber, who's a, who's an alpha. Yeah. Called call me and said, cause he had called me on Friday when I was, I had already flown into Atlanta, but I wasn't telling people why I was going. I was just telling them I need to be in Atlanta. You know, work wanted me to come in. They were like, can you just do the show that night? I was like, I really can't. But I did, you know, I called into my show because obviously you had the verdict in the, um, the, 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 the Kenosha trial, right? In the Rittenhouse trial. So I was like, look, I'll do it from my room. So I'm in a hotel room doing my bit for the show, but I hadn't told anybody why I had left town because again, it's top secret. You can't say anything. So he calls me, he had called me on Friday to talk about something, you know, you know, we, we talk about all the social justice stuff that he's doing. He called me back last night and said, see now when you call, when I called you, you were like, yeah, I can't really talk right now. Because that's why you was acting. He's like, I knew something was going on. You were not still being your normal. So he was like, I called you. So he put me on the on the phone with his daughter, who's also uh, a member of Delta Sigma Theta. So he put me on the phone with her. But he was like, ah, <laughs> after gotcha. the fact. I gotcha. knew something was up. Something was up. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, it was really wonderful. It's, oh, and, and then you know what? The women are so incredible. Yeah. The leadership are so incredible. It, it was just, it was so refreshing. You know what I mean? Because this job yeah. is like real, a lot of negative news and bad news that my, my normal job, not, not, this is my fun job that doing the, um, this podcast, my day job is like full of really real, a lot of negativity. So I feel full up of positivity and love and spirit to just go forward. I feel like I can do anything. Yeah. What was it like meeting? Like for those of us, you know, that like the executive board, the president of Delta Sigma Theta, like all these dynamic women Amazing. who steer the ship that is Delta Sigma Theta, like to just see, you know, how it all comes together, right? Is yeah. amazing, right? It's amazing. And these are like the most amazing, accomplished, big time, big deal women, but yeah. who are also yeah. like down to earth and funny and fun 
and, you know, jokey and just normal. But also you're like, I cannot believe I'm talking to this person because they are such a big deal. Um, and they're, but they're just cool, you know, and just wonderful. And yeah, it was, it was amazing. I have to say it was really amazing. <laughs> the whole thing was incredible. <laughs> I love it. And you know, the fun part, it, it, it's all, you know, there's a lot of ceremony and a lot of, of tears and emotion attached to, <laughs> um, becoming a Delta. I, I know that there was a lot of that for you, but then there's the fun part of, you know, learning how to, you know, do your, your, Getting the great thumb, right? <laughs> yep, yep. And and shopping for paraphernalia. You sent me like what was a fashion show of okay. things, you know, that you that you uh, were able to purchase. And I'm telling you, the collection. You'll just keep buying things because people come out with the most amazing things. Uh, what was that like? Just finally, because for me, you know, my mother is a Delta, so I'm a legacy. So you know, I would see things you know, in her closet and around and I dare not, you know, like <laughs> put it on or anything like that. But it's like, once you get to wear it, it's so, I mean, it's just such a feeling of pride, right? Yes. Yeah. It is such a feeling of pride. And also the stuff is cute. So, you know, I had to send you a whole fashion show because the Girl, swag whole is fashion show. Uh, I said a whole fashion show because it was fabulous. And I was like, these are some cute clothes. I'm going to do a fashion show and just text it to you and show you what I got. And also I paid for it though, cousin Jackie, because when I was on my way home, I had to buy an additional bag. While we were shopping, I bought a bag to put my bag in, to put my, my swag in. So I had like four bags. So I got to the airport and had like four bags. And then I had to buy a rolly bag to put two of the bags in the bag. I paid for it. Listen, I shopped till I dropped and then I paid for it on the way home because I had way too much stuff. My bag. So the big bag I gave you wasn't enough? No. (laughs) No. (laughs) It wasn't. I had so much stuff. (laughs) And then they give, you know, I had swag. I had my, you know, you gave me some beautiful things. And then, you know, your mom, Mama Reed. And so I, in addition to the gifts and then Heather, Sora Heather, our friend who was, she literally was my life. She was the only reason I got food. Because, you know, because it's a secret, I had to stay in my room. I couldn't leave my room. So she was, you know, in on it. She was one of the very small number of people (laughs) that that knew. So she stayed with me. And when I tell you, if she wasn't there, I couldn't have left my room and got, and even when you order food, they wouldn't send the person upstairs. You had to go down and get it. So Heather was the only reason I didn't starve. <laughs> she had to go Sora get the food Heather. when we ordered. Thank you, Sora. God. We appreciate yes. you so much. Ah, oh, <laughs> it was amazing. So even now, I had hair and makeup that came and they had no idea why they were doing my hair and makeup. They just did it. So the next day when they realized why they were doing it, they were like, oh my God. <laughs> Yeah, your your hair I and mean, you were beat. Oh my God, you looked incredible. I loved it. They they you need to keep those numbers. Um, but your team in DC does a great job. But if you ever go back to Atlanta, those yeah. are the ones to call. Announcing the Mocha Podcast Network, an innovative lifestyle podcast network featuring conversations from a black perspective. Curated with respected voices led by actresses and comedians Sherry Shepard and Kim Whitley. We're funny and we have a yes. point of view. We call that edumatainment. That's what we call it. Ed- is that what it is? Veteran TV journalist Rolanda Watts. Shocking the heck out of everybody. The legendary Unky Divas in Vogue. This topic is girl groups in the industry. 
to syndicated broadcast personalities Lonnie Love and Dee Dee McGuire, as well as an array of experts and activists. Mocha Podcast Network, a lifestyle destination with authentic voices and perspectives designed to enrich and empower women of color with a unique listening experience. More than a destination, the Mocha Podcast Network is a full-service studio that offers an ongoing portfolio of production, distribution, marketing, guest booking, and most importantly, ad sales. With a unique revenue model for podcasters that includes customized promotional campaigns created specifically around podcaster and targeted audience, service social media promos and pushes, MPN brand advertising, targeted electronic newsletter, experienced sales representation. For advertisers, the Mocha Podcast Network is a safe marketplace to align their brands with trusted voices, organically engaging the highly in-demand female consumer and more. With quality over quantity, from concept to completion, now is the time for content creators and brands to join the innovative Mocha Podcast Network and experience unapologetic conversations with a new perspective. So I know you got to go soon, um, but I got to ask you this question because, you know, how are you going to manage? <laughs> <laughs> how are you going to manage adding this, adding, you know, this, uh, the commitment to the sisterhood uh, to all of the other things <laughs> that you have on your list of things to do? How I have. <laughs> it's like I haven't gotten to that part yet. <laughs> I haven't gotten to that part, but I just want to big up Sean. <laughs> Sean, Sean, who is my like go-to girl, sister, calendar chief. <laughs> so I'm gonna rely on help. And then uh, also I'm about to hire um an assistant at uh and MSNBC then the, to replace Hank, the in the the irreplaceable Hank. Irreplaceable we have finally got someone. He's irreplaceable. We, I think we have found a really good new Hank. Uh, and of course, Tina, who's my executive producer. It's literally going to be a village. And of course, Jason and the daughter. Like, it's literally going to be like six people who are going to be managing my life for the next many years because I can't do it myself. Well, I will give you this advice. I would suggest that you take a minute to take it all in before you start accepting invitations yeah. to speak and do yeah. anything public that doesn't come from national cha- <laughs> that doesn't come from the national <laughs> chapter that doesn't come from yeah. Madam President from Sora President. I would like because people you know already are going to reach out to you already. and book you for Founders yeah. Day, which is right around the corner, and this and that. I would take a I would I would you know say you know what I would love to do it next year, or but I would take six months, a year to just kind of take it all in. I definitely wouldn't but- jump. In. There, but that's just my advice. Um, and it's a good thing because I know you hate to say no to people, girl, but it's, <laughs> it's a good reason to give them to yeah. say, you know what? I just want to take everything in. I want to get my bearings. I want to, yeah. you know, have conversations with other And I want to learn too, because I don't know, you know, there's like a whole lot I want to learn about the sorority so that I'm conversant in what it's all about, you know, yeah. you know, people who are lucky who did it like way back or who did it in college or who did it just after college or did it a long time ago, who are already in people like yourself that are, you know, veterans, you know, of the sisterhood. Yeah. No, I don't know any of these things. So I'm still learning. 
I want to just, like you said, I want to just learn. I want to read everything I can about the sorority. I want to just know, because I just know the sentimental things that I love about it and have loved about it from the outside. I don't know the things from the inside that people who actually go through the pledge process learn in that process. So, you know, honorary is different in that we didn't do the education. You know what I mean? So I want to learn. Like my whole first thing is I just want to learn. I love the history, especially the parts about the, you know, the voting rights movement when you know, white suffragettes would not allow, you know, these members of Delta Sigma Theta who were like determined to fight for the right of black women to vote. They wouldn't even let them march with them, but they were, you know, they marched anyway. You know, that's the kind of organization I want to be a part of. One that's been fighting for voting rights, been fighting for the rights of black people, been steeped in that fight for social justice from the very beginning, from get-go. That is the thing that I have always loved about Delta Sigma Theta from the outside. And so I want to learn as much as I can and just take, like you said, take it in and take in the information and just really feel like I know before I jump out there and be like, I'm going to be your, you know. Yeah, I think that's smart. I think it is smart um, because, you know, to whom much is given. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, so you want to, you want to know your stuff before you're out there. That's for sure. Um, but yeah, yeah, even the history, you know, people want to just make us rivals with the members of Alpha Kappa Alpha sorority, but it's like, you know, just understanding the reason why our founders, you know, stepped away, um, and decided to start Delta Sigma Theta, all of that history, just knowing it and understanding it. Um, it's, it's, you know, all that stuff. So I'm just, I'm excited, but there, I gave you your ticket. To say, I cannot do this. I gave you your ticket to know. I and you know, uh, you know, we, we already talked to you about this, girl. You know, the, the, the Venn diagram with the links, because <laughs> I'm also a link. The Venn diagram is strong. Like, I've been hearing from links, and then there are links who are AKAs, links who are Deltas, links who are, you know, it, it, there's links from all different of the members of the divine, of the of the sororities of the divine nine, and they all are like connecting. So I'm hearing from them. I have a lot of friends who are AKAs, a lot. And so they're also, I'm hearing from them, and it's like, I got to figure it all out because it's a lot. <laughs> it is. It, but all I would say is just put Delta first. <laughs> and that'll help you out when it comes to making decisions <laughs> that'll, help. that'll help me out because I can't do everything no nobody can do everything so, you can't you know. do everything but if you just say you know what I'm gonna lean into Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated um yeah. since they did honor me as an honorary member uh, you do have a lot on your plate, another book that you have working on. I think there's another documentary that you have that you're working on. There's so many things, yeah. um, things that you have yet to announce, um, that yeah. you're working on and it's a, it's a busy time. So it's important to, you know, I don't have to tell you, but you're going to have to go. You're going to have to, I gave you a note ticket for Delta Sigma. Yeah. You think on top of all of this. You're getting ready to sprinkle in being a speaker <laughs> at this or being a speaker at that or showing up. At this. You're out of your mind. You're out of but your wait, mind. You mentioned the book. Can I just tell you another thing? I'm telling you, look at God. So one of my new sorors, of course, is Miss Evers, Miss Murley. Miss Murley yeah. Evers is, uh, is also a, a, a Delta. Yeah. Um, and let me tell you the other story that really blew my mind that I just discovered this weekend that who else is a Delta is the mother of Julius Jones. So yes. when Julius Jones, right, 
came close to being executed and everyone was praying, you know, for his mom. His mother is a very spiritual, very prayerful woman. She leaned into her sorority, into the del- into her, into her chapter. They had, they had prayer going for her. A lot of the prayers were coming from Delta Sigma Theta, you know, sorors of hers. And I literally out of the blue, because this is what sisterhood, right? And I, I don't know if she's affiliated with any sororities, but our friend Mar- Mara Scalvacampo, literally we reconnected out of the blue. We hadn't talked really since the whole pandemic, since before the pandemic. Yeah. Out of the blue, we just reconnected. And in fact, she texted me to my other phone, to Robin, which is the uh, which is the which is my other phone, because she still had that number. That's how long it had been since we talked. She hadn't talked to me since I got this new number. Out of the blue, I checked it, got an information from her. She said, and then, so I texted her from the new phone, gave her my new number. And she was like, buy any, we, we had her on the podcast. We just reconnected, had her on the podcast. And she said, by any chance, can you do this story? Julius Jones, she told me the whole story. I had never heard of him. I'd seen the name out there, but never heard of it. We did the story on the show. We did four days of it. We were going to do it every day. We started Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then Thursday. We thought we were going to do the show of them killing him because he was supposed to die that day at four o'clock Eastern time. When I tell you I was out to lunch with some powerful sisters, some amazing sisters in DC. Um, and we were at lunch and I get a text, another text from Mara to the new phone saying God and her first words in it were God is good. Cause they had the governor, governor Stitt had commuted his sentence. So we're so happy about that. Made my day blue, 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 get to Atlanta and find out that she too is a member of Delta Sigma Theta. So, you know what I mean? So I'm, I feel like God is working, working in my life right now in a special way. I don't want to start crying again, but that's, I feel like God is just working in my life in a really special way. And I think that Delta Sigma Theta is, is a, is, is a very big part of that. So. Yeah. This was the right time, right? This was the right time yeah. for you to become a member. Trayvon mom, Martin's mom is also yeah. a member of Delta Sigma Theta sorority incorporated. Yeah. <laughs> she is Sabrina Fulton, who is wonderful. She texted me as well this week. She was one of my yeah. one of my texts. I was like, let me priority re- reply to that one because oh, I, girl. I you yeah. are gonna, I mean, just to go through and just get back to and respond to all the congratulatory <laughs> texts. And even, I mean, that alone is gonna take you like <laughs> the end job. Of the year. You know what yes. I mean? That's gonna be some work. So I, I like I'll say again, because you never listen. You need to take the time and process it. Get your bearings before you start accepting invitations. Yes, and for the sores that are listening, don't ask her to do anything for a minute. At for a minute, I would say a year. I would say give yourself a year. Yeah. To really just take it in. It feels like a long time, but you're going to want to choose like Delta days. I don't know because of COVID um, if they're yeah. going to do that in the nation's capital. I, I said to you already, you know, that's a big uh, conference that we do every year in the nation's capital. It's really a big deal. It's very political. It is right in your wheelhouse. You yeah. need to be able to go to that, take it in, see what it is. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that's that's, you know, uh, where you need to really lean into. But anyway, I know you got to go. But I, this, you know, this is well, no, you can't go because we have to interview Toronto Burke. <laughs> <laughs> you got to wait a little bit longer. 
And then I'm going to go. And then I'm going to go. And do I'm my confused. show. I'm confused. But <laughs> congratulations, Sora Cousin. Welcome to Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. We are delighted to have you in our sister. Thank you, Sora Cousin. I love you, Cousin. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Coming up next, y'all keep it here, Toronto Burke. Of course, a woman we both love so much is our guest today, the one and only Toronto Burke. We could talk to her about so many things, but one yeah. of the big things we want to talk to her about is her new book. There is a long title, but I love it. Unbound. <laughs> My story of liberation and the birth of the Me Too movement. Welcome to, oh. to Read This, Read That, the one and only Tarana Burke. Hey, friend. Hey, friend. What's going on? I am loving the glam. Um, okay. Yeah. I, w- I want to tell you the truth about this glam. Maybe I'll tell you off camera, but it's so nice. Tell us the truth. We love it, girl. We talk about all that on this show. Remember early- it's just the three of us, though. We, go, we, we Just as a secret. Tell us. Us and our... I, when, when Jackie Jackie hit me up earlier like you ready for today and I was like yeah and I was like wait is this camera ready or not and she was like it is you got you know be ready to be on camera I was like oh shoot I, I gotta get my hair done this afternoon <laughs> so I had to dip in my pocket and get my good wig out yeah. <laughs> listen we love a good wig on this show we love a good wig honey I call this one Oh Diane Oh, wow. now Tarana is that the one where you um like that's your hair and then you clip it yeah, it's just a headband wig. See, look. I need one of those. Oh, I love that. Heat free. I use heat free, heat free hair all the time. This was curly hair, like how your hair is curly that way. Uh huh. You saw the thing I did for um Hello Beautiful and Madame Noir to cover. This yeah. Is this is that. Oh. Oh, that is they have. I love that. The last, the, the the hair from them. I've been using their um ponytails and stuff before, but this is my first like. That's cute. That's we really love that. Cute. Do you do your mm-hmm. own glam on most days? Do you have you figured it out? Because like for many yeah. of us, you know, we kind of learn from people that are doing things yeah. to us when we sit in their makeup chair. Yeah. Are you you got the hang of it now? It seems like that's me, Kamara. This, my my makeup artist is named Kamara. Kamara, are you need? She taught me a, like five to ten minute face that she yep. can just do real quick because I. I'm so terrible because I've had I've had problems with my skin my whole life. I was always scared of makeup. So when I when I was blogging, I thought oh, I should put makeup on. And I was wearing like this pancake 27 looking craziness. Yeah. Now I got it down to, you know, a little concealer, even it out, you know, mascara lip. It's amazing yeah. when you find out that you can use so much less than you thought. And, right. and still look great, right? Still and look, look even great. better than you did yes. before. We were taught earlier to just like, just the more, on. you know, the better. And it was like, like a really in those early <laughs> pictures, child, I was, <laughs> <laughs> it was It was bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about, you know, let's just talk about this book because I know it's been out for a minute. It's been well-received. Um, congratulations on that. Why was, was it hard? Tarana in the midst of everything because it just seems like once the Me Too movement, you know, kind of took off in a way, like you've been doing this work for years, but yeah. once Hollywood kind of got in the world, kind of got involved in everything, yeah. it, the trajectory of it just took off. And I wonder how challenging it was for you to sit down and write a book while all of that was still going on. 
it was it was quite challenging. <laughs> it was, you know, people keep saying, why did you do it this moment? I'm like, because the book is late. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I, I started writing in 2019 and kind of arrogantly thought, you know, I'm going to do this. I can get this done. This is my own life, right? I can write about it. And it was, it really knocked me on my behind um, when I started getting into the weeds. And luckily I had just tremendous support around me that, you know, that walked me through it. And then during the pandemic, I really couldn't write. And and we weren't, we weren't that much less busy during the pandemic, right? It was like, we were quarantined. I'm sorry, I think I'm... It's okay. Moving the screen. Girl, you with family. Take your time. Take my bad. Time. I don't want to keep moving the screen. My <laughs> wheel is caught up in the thing. Anyway, you know, even during quarantine... Okay, this is I'm bugging me. Go ahead. Fix it. <laughs> The wheel is caught, the microphone thing is caught up in the wheel, and every time I move, it's moving the whole computer. Okay. That's so you just take the wheel. Take the wheel. <laughs> right. right. Literally. Literally. So, um, yeah, we didn't have, I wasn't like that much less busy. I just wasn't moving around. Yeah. And it was just stressful, and I couldn't really write. So the bulk of the book was written between September and March. An election was happening and all the stuff around that and after the uprising. And so there was my like obligations in the world is like being Toronto Burke, whatever. And then it was just the hardness of trying to get this story out, you know? Right. And writing a book is grueling. I I can tell you it is, it is really grueling. Um, But I want to ask you, I have to, I have to kind of go there. Mm -hmm. We just saw in the news that Time's Up, which is an organization that kind of, it built itself. It was sort of a white women, you know, grabbed in a, in a big way, as you know, Jackie said, Hollywood, et cetera, sort of grabbed onto me too. Mm-hmm. And suddenly the black origins of it kind of got deleted from the narrative. And you and I have talked about this, that mm-hmm. the, the, the origins of it with, within you, your own personal story within your life kind of got moved to the side and it became this sort of white Hollywood woman's thing that they grabbed a hold of. And so Time's Up was created as one of the organizations that was supposed to make the Me Too movement and ground it in really the HR world of Hollywood and the world. That has now laid off most of its staff. They're having a lot of problems, have had a lot of problems. So that didn't quite work out the way that they planned. What do you make of the ways in which Me Too was grabbed by people who were not us and were not related to your story or really to the black narrative and how that kind of turned out? Yeah, I think I think what's happening there is a tragedy, right? I think that when Me Too, I, I don't, I understand why people describe it in the way they do. But what I think actually happened is that Hollywood amplified this story, right? It was because of the Weinstein and the, you know, the exposés and whatever that people were even talk, talking about the issue. And then people came in and shared their stories, which is where Me Too got blown up on the internet. And of course, so those two things got conflated. So I don't think that the white women intentionally made a grab for the movement. What I think they did, not even them, I think what the media did is what they always did is that, oh, look at this, we got white women and they said, we got to talk about this, you know? <laughs> I was like, it, it's like, you know, if, if there's a such thing as missing white women syndrome, there's certainly sad white woman syndrome. If you got a crying mm-hmm. white woman, then somebody's going to put a camera on her face. Come on. And, and I'm not trying to diminish what happened to them by any stretch of the imagination, right? Mm-hmm. They are survivors, they went through horrific things and they deserve to have the the attention that they have and and whatever and 
once people understood the origins of the, the work and the movement, you would, have, you would think that that would amplify and say, well, oh, wow, if this work existed for Black women and girls, what's happening with Black women and girls? What's happening mm-hmm. with Indigenous folks? What's happening with, like, and that didn't happen. And so our voice is not loud enough and our, quite frankly, the trauma happened in our community is not important enough to outweigh the juicy salaciousness of who's going to be me too next, right? And all I can really do is just continue to do the work the way I'm doing it and let the work kind of speak for itself and grow incrementally. Because like, I, we have an organization, Me Too International, that is, in comparison to Time's Up, we, <laughs> in terms of like budget-wise and not even a comparison because they got out in front of it first and they created an organization and people wanted a place to do it. And remember, Time's Up set a record for their what GoFundMe or something like that. Yeah. With something like $37 million. That's regular folks donating their money because people wanted to be a part of this moment and this movement and, and pour into something that they thought could pay dividends back to them. I think part of the issue was they need time, they needed time to figure out who they were and what they were going to address. The movement to end sexual violence is old. <laughs> like it's, it's decades and decades old. And I do think it needed fresh voices, new, you know, innovative ideas and things like that. But there's still, it has to be grounded in a, in a, in an analysis around um, privilege and power, white supremacy, racial justice, you know, all of these things that um, is not really part of the world that a lot of those folks come from. So it's like, let's do something that makes people feel good. Let's do something that makes an impact and gets a quick turnaround and let's have some wins. And wins are good, but they a lot of times when they're quick wins, they just make people feel good. And then when you peel them back, it's like, well, who is this really for? How many people is this helping? Yeah. What systems is this dismantling? So, you know, it's complicated. I think they did. I do, I do think that they, you know, put out a, did a, have had a genuine effort. We worked with them. I, I, I really wanted to make sure that there was not a like me too versus times up type of thing happening, which is why we, you know, partnered with them on stuff and, and tried to work with the, with the organization. And I was a part of the global board and all the rest of that. But at the end of the day, it's an old problem that a young organization can't, you know, some don't, it's not successful all the time. So we'll see what happens. I mean, I think Monifa, Monifa Bandele, who took over, did an amazing job, you know, let a black woman do it. <laughs> um, <laughs> coming in and and but she was only there for a year and she happened to come in right at this critical moment. She had nothing to do with it, of course. And um, what she's managed to do in a short period of time to kind of like raise the level of integrity and operate in a, in a place that people recognize Monifa as a movement person that, that is um, above reproach around certain things. So I think that was really helpful. So we'll see. Well, given given all of that, Tarana, today, mm. where is the Me Too organization? How did all of that impact, you know, even in the very beginning, it was, you know, like you said, the budgets are not the same for, for Me Too and Time's Up. But what were the pros and the cons of that organization and just the media attention that came, you know, just came like a wave? And then, you know, like, where are you today? 
with the Me Too movement? Are you stronger because of it? Are you in a good standing? Do you still need funding? Are you making a difference? You know, I, I know you're making a difference, but are you where you want to be? Yeah, I think that we, Me Too International, which is the organization, we call ourselves a, a, a big grassroots organization, <laughs> right? We have this, this 12, almost 12 staff. We're about to hire another person. Um, and we've done all of these great campaigns over the last four years. You know, we had the Me Too Voter thing. We did the Survivors uh, Summit and the Survivors Agenda. And, you know, we're doing um, just all like a lot of amazing stuff directly for survivors. And uh, we have Act Two, the, the technological platform that we put out. But I still struggle. What happens is people can't separate. They're like, this literally just happened. People don't pay attention to nuance. So they're like, oh, Tarana Burke, you're the lady who founded Me Too, right? You run Time's Up, don't you? Right. <laughs> I'm like, no. Yeah. I don't have anything yeah. to do with that. And so there are literally funders out there who thought, you must be fine. I just saw you in the cover of a magazine. Why? Your organization doesn't have millions of dollars? And I'm like, no, they don't. That's not how that's not how this has worked out for us. So, um, so yeah, we definitely still need funding. We are still scrappy, and we do we do a lot of big stuff because because imagine it's like having a big name. So we have a lot of shoes, like a lot of um, I was gonna say shoes to fill, but there's a lot of people that's looking to us, right? So people right now, when people feel survivors have gone through sexual violence, they go to Google and they're like, well, maybe me too can help me. Right. So they come to the site. So that's like millions of people who are looking to, for help from me too, mm. not knowing what it even is. Like, can, can Toronto help me? And I'm like, well, go to our organization. So we've set up all of this like virtual stuff for survivors directly. Um, but that takes money. And then we mm-hmm. do like the public things, like trying to do a little policy stuff, but also really firmly trying to stay in our lane. Right. I really think that what happened with some of the other organizations is that and this is not about anyone in particular. People don't focus on sexual violence and it's big enough. People couch it in like gender justice and women's rights generally and that kind of thing and don't focus on sexual violence. So you leave out children, you leave out men, you leave out queer folks, you leave out like there's a breath to, to, the, to the, the, the and depth to the issue of sexual violence that gets erased. And then when you start getting into who's black and indigenous and trans and whatever, all that stuff gets kind of pushed aside when you just couch the issue in, under other things. So we're really trying to just amplify some of the nuance about it and really talk about this issue alone. This is a public health crisis, right? Mm-hmm. And we need to be thinking about the issue of sexual violence, period, as a public health crisis. Like the number of children during quarantine who are sexually assaulted at home, who are dealing with child sexual abuse at home, who had no place to go, right? These are the things that folks just don't think about. So, so yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the, the, the future of the movement. We're coming up on five years. 2022 will be the fifth anniversary of the hashtag going viral. And I'm really working hard this year to like shift the questions that people ask. I don't want, I know there's going to be a, t- a ton of media looking at, you know, where's Harvey Weinstein now? And what's Matt Lauer doing? Right. And, right. You know, what is, what is, what did me to accomplish? How many people went to jail? How many men were taken down? How many, you know, all of that. And I want them to ask a different question, which is what has Me Too made possible? Mm. In the last five years, what we have made possible far outweighs the number of people who have gone to jail, not gone to jail, step resigned and all the rest of that. You have 
legions of survivors who probably would have never said a word about what happened to them because this thing went viral and we kept amplifying. You have people who now feel empowered to change policies and laws and things like that because we are still amplifying the issue. I just want people to focus on what we've made possible and what is still possible if we don't make this a one-off issue that's like, okay, we did me too. Oh, we did, you know, right. let's go on to the next thing. So, Well, and that, I guess that was kind of my question too, is how, how do we continue to amplify the movement? Because as you said, there was the moment, there was the pushback where men said, well, I can't even say anything. Now I don't even want to participate. And people got right. tired of changing their ways and changing the way they think and speak about it real quick, just like they did with the George Floyd, just like they movement, just like they did with the, you know, Black Lives Matter movement, you know, people who it doesn't directly affect got bored of it real quick. But as you said, the, the victims were still being victimized and still need care and are still out there. So what can we do to support um, the Me Too movement now and to amplify it and to make it even more impactful? Well, I've been saying to people since the beginning, and people think I'm just being cynical. I was like, y'all, in five years, they're going to stop talking about us, right? I think we have a portal. We have a window. And and after the fifth anniversary, it'll be the 10th and then the 15th. And, you know, like, (laughs) that's that's how these things work. And I know that's how, you know, the world works. And I've seen it happen before. So while we have this this window, while people are paying attention, we have to tell as many stories and many a diversity of stories about what sexual violence actually is. We have to move people away from the notion that it's about, it's, you know, keeping score on who's lost a job and who's been taken down. And I think if people can, the more people can connect with like the idea that it's a public health crisis, we just went through a, a, we're going through a pandemic. And I used to actually use the language of pandemic to try to help people see the, the largeness of it. Like, Imagine if you woke up tomorrow and 12 million people had some kind of weird virus, you know, that just came out of nowhere. That's what happened when Me Too went viral. You had 12 million people in 24 hours, the first 24 hours across all social media platforms say, oh, wow, that happened to Me Too. Yeah, that's that that in and of itself is incredible. Right. That should that should that should have. That's a pandemic itself. That's a pandemic. Yeah. And that is ongoing. Right. We can put a cap on coronavirus. We can find cures and vaccinations and all the rest of that. But we because because when coronavirus hit, the world got serious and said, oh, shoot, we have been slowly working on this. Let's speed it up. We got to get a cure for this. Right. We got the, the three questions that I said people would ask. How did this happen? How do we make it stop? And how do we make sure it never happens again? We don't ask those questions about sexual violence. We have to, t- because because it's not just about sexual violence. Then you got to get into power and privilege. Then you got to talk about capitalism and white supremacy. Then you got to talk about, you know what I mean? Like there's all these other things that ult- sexual violence is inextricably linked to so many other social justice issues. Some of the same motivation for why people discriminate and, and, are, and are racist are some of the same motivation for why people are sexually violent. Right. It's about a distortion of and, a, and a, um, not distortion, but a misuse of their power. Right. Mm-hmm. And their privilege. And it comes out in various ways, but it doesn't. Get, so what you can do, I guess, I'm, you know, I start to preach it. But what you, to answer your real question <laughs> is to talk about these different stories. Right. What are the root causes of this? Who else is the face of this? I, I want us to talk about black black women. I want us to talk about indigenous women. Mm-hmm. Like desperately, this is a, it's such a crisis in indigenous communities, and particularly because in indigenous communities, unlike other communities, 
These are white people coming from outside of the community in on into the community committing these crimes more often than it is folks inside. In every other black, white, Latinx, Asian, it's happening intra-communally, right? People who look like right. are committing. But in on reservations, because of the sovereignty issues, you literally have people who come on reservations, will rape, murder, kidnap, whatever, indigenous women, and then leave. Mm-hmm. So so like there's so many beautiful, not beautiful, but so many um, deep stories to tell. I, I just want folks to tell different stories to not wait for it to be on a cover of a magazine or the nightly news, a headline story. Like we need good investigative journalism. We need podcasts that do like series about, you know, like that kind of stuff. Just, it's just, it's just whatever the, what, what you can do what's within your power to do. I just ask people to exercise, you know, you have a sphere of influence use a portion of that towards this issue. We know inevitably it's not going to stay in the mainstream and we just have to keep chugging along until the next thing happens and then we get another opening, you know? Yeah. How? What would you say to those of us? I mean, I see this kind of stuff, you know, we saw R. Kelly, you know, convicted finally, you know, after what, 20 something years. Um, And it took, you know, damn near 18 years for people to start believing these women and realizing, you know, who R. Kelly really was. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, something that has bothered me for years is particularly in the black community, you talk about different cultures, you know, dealing, dealing with this um, in their own way, particularly in the black, black community, how there are, and I'm not saying all black men, no, but there gotta, is. You gotta put the disclaimer. You gotta put it out there. So <laughs> please, Jesus. But I am saying there is this acceptance of men, black men, preying on young black girls. And it's just like, it's just like the R. Kelly thing. Like people knew, but they just let it go. They dismiss it. Um, and a lot of that. Uh, is because of how society, even our own community, sees black women, right? The over-sexualization of us, right? Um, But for those of us, you know, because it it has to, you know, Me Too can't do everything. We as a community, too, have to speak up and say, like, what advice would you give those, you know, uh, people living in the neighborhood who see things, teachers who may recognize them, like when you're seeing things, like how do we engage and mobilize our community so that it's, uh, you know, so that it's, an, you know, that it's an arm of Me Too. So it's not just your organization trying to do everything for millions no, no, of, of women. Agree. One of the things that we're trying to do are, are these um, community healing circles. This is, is this one of our new initiatives. And part of what that is, is going into communities, into, into average communities, and activating the people who do the work in those communities. So imagine if you had the church, the you know teachers from the local teachers union or whatever, um, if you brought clergy, educators, organizers, you know, parents, whatever, together to talk about this issue in the community, to talk about, because we really have to reprogram and re-socialize to, so it's not normalized. It's not normal. Right. For, for, remember when, um, I remember when, who was it? It was one, some black was turning 18 and everybody was like hyped because she was turning 18 and they could finally. Oh, it was Michelle Obama's daughter. Yes. And it was like, are you serious? Yeah. This is, so like, we have to not normalize those things. So 
So if we can go into communities and have communities be proactive, there's no first line of defense around sexual violence in our communities. Yeah. So so I, I talk about this often. When there is gun violence in Black communities, we know how to respond. You've seen that. We, we have first responders. Somebody's child is shot in the Black community. Somebody's going to get some T-shirts that match. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have a rally. And we're going to get together and somebody's going to talk about peace in the community, get the guns off the street, right? We're going to say, we can't have this. Our children are not safe in this community. And we watch people rally around that violence. Yeah. When a child is molested in a community, when a woman is raped in a community, right? It is not the same kind of reaction. We don't have people coming together saying this kind of violence can't stand. Mm-hmm. And that's what we need to happen. We need, we need grassroots organizing that is about dismantling these structures in our community that allow us to normalize this kind of behavior. If we have, you need to be preaching it from the pulpit. We need to be talking about it in the schools. That's why we need comprehensive sex education. Yeah. We need your community centers to be talking about it. We need on a very community level. I re- and I really feel like it has to happen from the ground up. Mm-hmm. Changing laws, federal laws and those kind of things are great, but we actually have federal laws in the books right now that prohibit all of this stuff. And it doesn't, People don't follow the law. Right. So, so unless we are organizing and in actual communities and having these conversations, going to the basketball camp and talking to the little boys about, you know, these, these kinds of things and not just about how not to, you know, um, harass girls, but to also look out for being victimized themselves. Yeah. That needs to be normalized in our communities and, and I really, honestly, I do think this generation is, is in the, the last two generations, millennials and the, the next ones, mm-hmm. are helping to shift that a little bit and helping to, they're having more honest conversations, they're having more upfront conversations. So I can only pray and keep organizing to hope that that, that practice continues, but it won't change until we do that. I know. Well, Tarana, you can always come here on Read This, Read That and talk about this and more. We stand with you. You know, we love yes. we love all things Tarana Burke. So thank you. Um, thank you for, you know, always just being there when we call to come on and be a guest on, on our well, show. We appreciate it. I appreciate it. I do. <laughs> and thank you for, for, you know, amplifying this book. I, I really it was it was all the things that I could pour out and some more. So I appreciate it. <laughs> we want signed copies. Stay <laughs> on though. I got them everywhere. I, I will get y'all some signed copies. <laughs> Announcing the Mocha Podcast Network an innovative lifestyle podcast network featuring conversations from a black perspective curated with respected voices led by actresses and comedians sherry shepherd and kim whitley we're funny and we have a yes. point of view we call that edge of entertainment that's what we call it Ed- is that what it is veteran tv journalist rolanda watts shocking the heck out of everybody the legendary unky divas in vogue this topic is girl groups in the industry to syndicated broadcast personalities Lonnie Love and Dee Dee McGuire, as well as an array of experts and activists. Mocha Podcast Network, a lifestyle destination with authentic voices and perspectives designed to enrich and empower women of color with a unique listening experience. 
More than a destination, the Mocha Podcast Network is a full-service studio that offers an ongoing portfolio of production, distribution, marketing, guest booking, and most importantly, ad sales. With a unique revenue model for podcasters that includes customized promotional campaigns created specifically around podcaster and targeted audience, service social media promos and pushes, MPN brand advertising, targeted electronic newsletter, experienced sales representation. For advertisers, the Mocha Podcast Network is a safe marketplace to align their brands with trusted voices, organically engaging the highly in-demand female consumer and more. With quality over quantity, from concept to completion, now is the time for content creators and brands to join the innovative Mocha Podcast Network and experience unapologetic conversations with a new perspective.